0: Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast.
1: We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk, the white man's wilting dick. We see the dangling jowls of C.D.
0: The smiling lie of the
2: televised
0: Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 41. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics.
1: Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going warp factor eight, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics and everything in between. So please spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <coughs>
0: the fun ideas podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from lee's comics of california selling you what your mother threw out since 1982 online at leescomics.com alvin the story of ross Bagdasarian senior liberty records format films and the alvin show is out Order your hardback, paperback and ebook copies today on Amazon and at baremannermedia.com. The Warren Kramer TTV scrapbook, and Monkey's solo books are in various stages of completion, so I have taken on a new project that currently has no official title, but it is a History of Mad magazine. I avoided doing a mad history book for years, figuring that it had already been done and done well, when I realized that a complete mad history had never been done since the early 1990s. So, I'm taking it upon myself to start that book. The kickstarter for the comedy of Jack Davis and the comedy of John Severin was wildly successful, and we will be shipping the books and the other goodies during the month of October. Our guest today is my co-author for the two monkeys' books, Long Title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkeys' Songs One by One, and the upcoming Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkeys' Solo Years. He's also written or compiled many other books which will be discussed edited the fondly missed Animato magazine, and is a full-time lawyer. Here he is, Michael A. Ventrella. Okay, on the phone I have Michael A. Ventrella, who is a published author, especially a co-author of my one of my books, which is about the monkeys, and we're also working together on a monkey solo book. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for And, uh...
0: I know you're also a lawyer, and, and have been for uh, probably like 30 years or something, it says uh, where I read it. Um, how did yeah, you... Yeah,
1: remind me how old I am.
0: <laughs> well, you're 30 <laughs> now. That's right. Congratulations. That's
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> um, so how did you get into being a lawyer and an author?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well... I I always wanted to be a musician when I was young, you know, and that's one of the reasons I was into the Monkey because they were popular right at the time that I was growing up, you know, so it was very influential on me until I discovered the Beatles, and then the Beatles became my main influence, of course. (laughs) And so uh, during college, I've always been a very political person, and anyone who goes to my blog knows that, you know, and I have a new book coming out about politics as well Mm -hmm. and law. In any event, I liked. It. I was a political science major, but my real goal was to make it as a musician. But I knew that's very unlikely because <laughs> it, it, any type of entertainment field, it's very hard. A lot of it is just connections. A lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time. You know, where right? that's the way it is for anybody, including writers. Yep. And sometimes you just hit it, and you never. And you're surprised suddenly there's you're popular, and sometimes you can work your ass off and nothing happens. <laughs> so really. Going to law school was kind of my backup plan if the musician didn't work out. I, I, after after getting my degree in political science, I, I moved up to Boston and to law school and had another band in Boston that actually got the radio play and was, you know, never quite make it, but we were close. You know, we played all the big clubs, but never really made it. Uh, so, you know, by that time I was a lawyer. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that's kind of how it happened. Although, on the case in Boston, I was more political than I was a lawyer. I I, 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 was a public defender in Boston, but I also worked on political campaigns, and I was a campaign manager, and I, you know, I, I was a lobbyist for a while. So I did politics then.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and now I'm just doing law.
0: Okay. Uh, what's your What's your practice, and what do you emphasize on your uh, cases?
1: I'm doing a criminal practice is what i do which is more interesting to me um since i do care about justice and political issues that's one of the good ways that i feel like i'm doing something to help protect people's rights mm-hmm. um so i do lots of criminal cases mostly and that's all i do now when i was younger i get all kinds of stuff because you have to pay the bills but now unfortunately i've got a good reputation and i'm just doing criminal stuff
0: oh that's cool so you get to specialize basically
1: yeah, which is good. You know, you, you want lawyers who specialize. You, you know, you don't go to a foot doctor if your head hurts and you know, right. get a get arrested, you want to hire me, not somebody who does real estate, you know. Right. So yeah, that's how it works.
0: <laughs> now of course, uh yeah, it sounds like you've been successful as a lawyer. Any pinings to go back into music or do you still play or anything like that at this time?
1: Oh, I still have my instruments and I play every now and then. One of my bands um, from college, the naughty dicks we called ourselves back when I was in college. <laughs> Uh, used to play really, you know, new wavy, Elvis Costello, Grant Parker type of music. I mean, you know, I wrote a lot of the songs. Mm-hmm. And so about a year or so ago, we got back together again and we're recording our old songs now that we have the equipment. You know, back in those days, if you wanted to make a record, <laughs> you had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars in the studio on tape. <laughs> now, the drummer lives in Texas. He recorded his drum track. They sent him, you know, by email to the guitarist who had his track. And I went down and added my part. Wow. And we're putting something together, so you know it's, it's a little just a fun project. We're not planning on, you know, making any money off of it. It's just a fun little reunion we're doing. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's a
0: way again. to do a reunion. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, it's, it's never quite as nice to draw playing together because there's something about a band playing together where you can get a lot more energy than you can doing it this way. You know. It, Right Hard to
0: describe
2: to a non-musician <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, I know exactly how you mean Because you, know, you yeah. kind of riff off of each other Whereas it's kind of a sterile environment If you're just sitting there by yourself Playing a guitar or something like that um, yeah, exactly. yeah, Did any of the other members of your band Have uh, similar success in another field Like yourself? Or?
1: Well, yeah, they're all pretty successful But none of them as musicians or anything, unfortunately Okay. <laughs> um, what happens is that uh, the most successful person who was around me when I was in college was um uh, Amy Mann from till Tuesday. Remember her? Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah I, uh, basically, I went to college with her and uh, and in high school and she used to come and see my band and uh, what would happen is we would uh, we got to be pretty good friends and she actually dated the guitarist and then we both moved to Boston coincidentally. She went to Boston to study music and I went to Boston to study law and Frustratingly, I wish I had gotten back together with her and said, Hey, do you need a bass player? Um, Because maybe I'd be a musician these days. You know, she made it, she made it, my band didn't. Wow. So that's the closest I get, I'm afraid.
0: Right, right. (laughs) Yeah but oh well um how, how did the books come along because I mean your books are on a diverse series of topics of course the monkeys book is music but I mean you know I'm looking through them trying to find some sort of thread I mean there is some legal stuff you have like uh Sherlock Holmes stuff so how, how did you get into writing those books and uh compiling some of them you didn't write you, you're like an editor or something like that too the Editor.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly that's a little different so uh Basically, back in the old days, I mean, I did a lot of writing throughout my life, of course, because, you know, in, in school and stuff, I worked on school newspapers. I wrote a play when I was in high school that the school put on. I did, you know, I, I, I've constantly been writing. I just never tried to write a book before in a long way. Um, as you as you must be aware, I started a magazine back in the 80s called Animato, right. which was a magazine about animation. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote for that, of course. And, you know, and my point is, the more you write, the better you get. Clearly, you know, so by the time I got older, I went. You know, I should write a book.
2: <laughs>
1: and what had happened was, I also started a live action role playing game back in the '80s. Um, you know, where people dress up in costume and go out and do all kind of stuff. So I wrote the books for those, and I ran those. And I, and technically, honestly, I still, I still own it, but someone else runs it for me now. We have chapters all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. So I have that as well. So what happened was, I said, you know, I'm going to write. A fantasy novel because I love to read fantasy novels, and I placed it in the world of my of my game because I had already created the world. I knew how everything worked. You know, I had maps. I had everything I needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the
2: first novel was called Arch Okay. Um, And yes, there's an arch involved. Um, (laughs) And so the uh, the idea
1: behind that was I I wrote a story that took place in the world of the game. I didn't use any of the game rules though, because you know. What works in a game doesn't work in fiction, and vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. so so if you read the book, you don't think, "Oh, this is based on a game." You know, yeah, so so that was the first one, and then I wrote a sequel to that. And honestly, if it, it's sold really, really well. I probably still do them, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm still trying to write that great new novel. You know, it's going to make me famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next novel after that was called Bloodsuckers: A Vampire Runs for President. Oh wow! Which <laughs> I wrote before before Trump became president. Um, <laughs> It's a, very po- it's a political thriller with lots of humor um, all my books have lots of humor in them um, <laughs> but that, that was a fun one to write uh, and then the most recent one is called Big Stick which is a Teddy Roosevelt steampunk adventure with Teddy Roosevelt and Mark Twain and Harry Tubman and it's just, all my books are fun they're not meant to be serious mm-hmm. you know they're fun adventures uh, so that, that's how I got started but then I started editing as well I'm sorry okay. if I'm talking too much
0: <laughs> no that's fine that's fine
1: <laughs> yeah um, the the doing a series called Tales of Burtanus. Okay. And there have been five series of these so far. These are stories that take place in the world of the books and, and the game. But once more, you know, we don't get it. A lot of the people who wrote these stories have never played my game. They just writing good fantasy stories, you know, but I make sure that they're consistent so, you know, it doesn't, it feels like a real world, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so it's kind of like fa- fa- fan fan yeah. fiction, for lack of another word? Is that... Yeah,
1: I guess, but the point is anyone can read it. it doesn't, you don't have to be a fan. You don't have to play the game. They're just uh, good stories. Okay. Um, so I'm real happy with a lot of these authors. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're told okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, I I, I I wrote a short story. And I had short stories in other anthologies that I'd written in a magazine and things. So I wrote a short story that you would like because it's about the Beatles, actually. Um, it's a Sherlock Holmes story that takes place in the future, and the Beatles make play a part of it. And the character is a woman who claims to be Sherlock Holmes' descendant. And so it was a good story It got printed, and um, she has to figure out a mystery. And, and I thought it'd be cool to have a whole bunch of stories all about what if Sherlock Holmes was a woman? What if Sherlock Holmes was a child? What if Sherlock Holmes was an alien or a vampire? You know, that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it to Jonathan Mayberry, who is a, you know, world famous New York Times bestselling author whose latest books are being made into a Netflix series as we talk, you know. Mm-hmm. And he went, that's a great idea. Can I do it with you? And I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course you can do it with me. You nah. know, New York Times bestselling author, yeah, I'm going to say yes to him. Um, so so we got it. In- we got an agent and she was able to sell the audio rights to do, so you can get the audio book on that mm-hmm. and uh, there were two two series of that Baker Street Regulars was called I've got a bunch of famous authors I mean all these authors I had grown up reading when I was a kid mm-hmm. I contacted a lot of them and they went like, yeah so it sounds great idea. I'll give you a story so I'm editing David Gerald, you know and all these famous people you know Lawrence Watt Evans you know, these people who I've read when I was a kid I'm going this is great I'm <laughs> editing the people <laughs> I love wow.
0: uh, so that was fun so how, how does how does that work? Like, like if I'm not, well, I'll use it for lack of a better term myself. If I wanted to write for your book, how would that work? Or do you have to be a famous published author? Or how does, yeah, how's, how, how, how does works? the process work?
1: There, sure. Um, for the Baker Street Irregulars, what happened was we, uh, Jonathan and I contacted people we wanted to have in the book. And that book was uh, uh, done by Royal uh, royalty basically. So mm-hmm. they knew they were going to get paid because we had an agent and they worked out the deal and all that kind of stuff. We got an advance and all that kind of stuff. You know, because you didn't get the big guys unless you paid them. <laughs> right, of course. Um, and we got enough big guys to attract attention to make sure that a publisher would go, hey, I want this, you know, and they, they bought it. Then I opened it up and I said, we're opening it up for anybody who wants to write me a story. And I, I put it on my webpage, which is com, mm-hmm. wherever I edit one of these books. And I just open it up, because as far as I'm concerned, even if you've never been published before, if you write a great story, I want it. Right, right, okay. And and so we got a bunch of, you know, we have some famous people in there who were, like, picked, they're, like, invited. And then we open it up, and there's other people who get, you know, if they write a good story, they can put in there. So that's how it works out. very cool, Um, okay. With the last two anthologies I've done, one is called um, Release the Virgin. (laughs) <laughs> the idea behind that anthology, we were at a we were at a convention one time and it was late at night and me and a bunch of authors and editors and things were sitting around the table just, you know, drinking and having a dinner or whatever. And someone told a story about biology and said "Release the Virgin," having to do with animals and the test they had to do, you know, with fruit flies, do here or not? <laughs> and I said, "That's a great title for a book." And, and one of the authors said, "I'll write a story for that." And the publisher said, "Hey, I'll publish that." And next thing you know, wow, a book called "Release the Virgin." <laughs> the idea behind this book was every single story had to contain that phrase somewhere in the story, and that's the only requirement we gave them. Oh. <laughs> So what we did was we got a whole bunch of famous authors, mm-hmm. and we, um, once more, I invited them in, and we did a Kickstarter for this one, just mm-hmm. to make sure we had enough money to do it. So we did a Kickstarter. People paid, you know, money to either to order a book in advance, so we knew we had the money to pay the authors. Um, and we had a limit, and we made the limit, of course, and we paid all the authors to put the book
2: out. So that that was a huge seller, actually. very did very well. Very well. Um, cool. And then,
1: of course, the most recent one is the Beatles one.
2: Okay.
0: Is that one done? Because I think the last I heard you were having some delays with some authors or something like that. So is that now complete? Correct.
1: It is now complete. What happens is it is um, now uh, the publisher is publishing, as we speak, the uh, advanced review copy. Ah. Basically what they do is they publish a whole bunch of paperbacks that say in big letters, advanced review copy, not for sale. Right. Then it gets sent out to the magazines for reviews, basically. Um, so that happens, and then the book should be out in December. Uh, the concept behind this book is sort of like the Sherlock book. Uh, my idea was, what if the Beagles were X, Y, Z? So we have people telling stories about the Beagles as, you know, aliens, time travelers. Some are just stories of, what if the Beatles had made this decision instead of that decision? What if they stayed with Keep Best, for instance, that kind of stuff, you know? Right. So, so it's a good collection of really great stories once more with some really famous authors in there that I'm thrilled to have Uh and we of course opened it up to anybody else so there's some people who have never been published in anything major before who are suddenly in these books with these famous authors who are just thrilled but they wrote good stories what can I tell you
0: so what's the name of it
1: we had so many stories I had to throw so many out I'm so frustrated because there were some really good ones that I just couldn't accept because there just wasn't room Uh so we might do a sequel
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what's the book called the final title
1: the book is called Across the Universe Ah. Um, we thought that was a good title that sort of gave the idea that there's lots of different you know stories and ideas here and of course there's limited we can only do so much as you have it's not like we can quote songs or anything and no one could write a story based on a song and no one could write the story of Eleanor Rigby for instance right because that's a copyrighted thing Mm -hmm. so it's more you know Beatle variations you know I got Spider Robinson who was a pretty famous author gave me a story Jody Lynn Nye Alan Steele, David Gerald, Cat Rambo, Keith DeCandido, uh, Gail Z. Martin, Alan Gulcher. Alan Gulcher, you might know, he wrote a book called um, uh, uh, Paul is Undead.
0: Yes, I have heard that book. I didn't know the author's name, but...
2: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yep. It was a fun book to read, and he wrote a story that takes place in the world of his book, so we put that in there, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Gregory Bedford, Gregory Frost. So i got a bunch of really good names.
1: We actually have 25 stories in this this Mm -hmm. big book, because we made made enough money on the the, uh, Kickstarter to make the book bigger. So that's my latest project.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And on all these uh, Sherlock Holmes or Beatles or anything, is there a requirement that they have to be, like... Serious or that can be humorous, or is there any requirements in that uh, no. way, or no?
1: No requirements like that. There are some of them that are quite joking and some of them that are tremendously <laughs> serious. Um, you know, there, there's one story in here where George meets with uh, uh, Richard Nixon and tries to convince him to stop the Vietnam War, and it goes exactly opposite of what he wanted uh, to. That that's kind
2: of a sad ending. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, but some of them are really funny. Like, you know, Gail
1: Morton wrote, uh, what, if, what if the. Uh, Beals were like the Scooby-Doo gang, you know, <laughs> driving around in a van trying to solve mysteries. <laughs>
0: wow. <laughs> so, so, sounds like a... Oh, so, yeah, you
1: take back and forth,
0: yeah. Sounds like a haha, yeah, splendid time is guaranteed for all, huh? Okay. <laughs>
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so you <laughs> mean, say that there, there's, there's enough... You, know, you don't like... Go ahead. Hmm?
1: There, there's just enough variation that if you don't like one story, just keep going, the next one you should like.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, but you said there's enough mo- book, uh, blah, blah, enough stories that you're going to do a sequel. Is that true then?
1: I said I don't know if we will or not. Okay. Um, sometimes you don't want to beat a dead horse, you know. Um, right. <laughs> but at the same, time, a lot of it will how much it sells. You know, if right. it really sells well and people are demanding it, we might. Mm. Um, but even if we did have a second book, I would
2: open it up for more stories too. Right.
1: The right. point is, some of those stories that didn't quite make it I'd hold on to
2: and if I didn't get better ones I'd say okay now I can take the story
0: right right okay <laughs>
1: and that's that's you know the sad thing is I had to say no to friends <laughs> right you know who write good stories and I go oh this I just can't fit it you know and I did. Yeah. Uh, that's the hardest part about being an editor I and mean, in, in the publishing industry you gotta learn that reject, never take rejection seriously because yes. I've also been rejected by friends <laughs> yeah
0: well I mean like, like like you with animato I had my Harveyville fun times so yes I know what that's mm-hmm. like and uh, the person says well why can't you put my story and it's like well I don't have room yeah sometimes you have a I
1: had about four or five different stories for this beetle ones that had the ba- same basic thing. oh and some of them were both, I mean, they kind of all been good, but I can't have four stories with the same idea. Right. You know, so sometimes right. it gets rejected for reasons, having nothing to do with whether the story is any good or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to fit. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So. Um, <sighs> since I mentioned Animato, going back to the Animato days, I think that's the first time you and I ever spoke. Uh, mm mm-hmm. What? It, what's how did you start that one and how did it kind of end up because I don't think you were doing it at the end I was always kind of curious about the history of that uh, publication
1: yeah basically uh, I, I'm a very creative person but I'm not very good as a business person if that makes sense you know <laughs> join the and club I, <laughs> yeah I started I started Animato as a small little you know Xerox little hand thing we put out there it was small you know and we sold it in the local comic book stores and, and you know we, we would host uh, animation shows because back in those days, you know, there was no internet. There was, there was no—you you couldn't see it on TV. We rent the films and actually have showings, so you could see all these old cartoons no one had ever seen before. And we, you know, we show them at Harvard University. We had a place for us to show mm-hmm. and we'd invite people over. And then, of course, the women we invite them. We say, "Hey, why don't you subscribe to our magazine?" And they would. And it kept growing and growing. Um, and then Harry McCracken really took it over. Harry McCracken was one of our writers who also lived with us in Boston. He ended up editing. um Computer Times magazine, or one of those computer magazines right. around a motto. He used that a motto on his resume to do that. And he sort of took it over and made it and 8 and a half by 11, and even though it was still in black and white, you know, the covers were still in black and white, too, because we did not afford too much, and it just kept growing, and I edited a few issues, and he edited a few issues, and one of the problems was I also had a band, and I was a lawyer, and I was working on policy, and I didn't have a lot of time. <laughs> and so quite often, it would come out late, you know, because the wasn't like it was making money, you know, it was paying for itself, but I wasn't getting rich off of it, clearly, right. um, and I just didn't have time, and, and after a while, uh, I had uh, G. Michael Dobbs, Said, Look, I understand you. You don't have time to do this. Can I buy the magazine from? You? Huh. And I went okay. So we worked out a deal, and I he basically he took it over. I still wrote columns for it every now and then, um, and he made it even bigger. So it was on magazine, you know, newsstands and things. So he did a good job, but of course, just like all magazines, when the internet came out, know yeah. it kind of died out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I and still. And then of course, magazines like animation came out that was a, you know, they had a big money behind that one that was like a Hollywood, you know. Right. They could afford to put out these big color magazines we couldn't afford to do. Um, so they kind of gave us competition as well.
0: <laughs> right, but I preferred yours, <laughs> and also uh, David Maruse's, uh Mindrot, which became yeah. Animania. You yeah.
1: know, <laughs> Mindrot came before Animoto, before but we didn't know anything about it. Right. I'd never seen Mindrot before. Oh, I see. that was West Coast, and here on the East Coast. Oh, okay. And it wasn't until after I started Animoto that I found out about it. Yeah. Because um, maybe I would have written for him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, at the time we said, "There's nothing here for animation fans." Yeah. Know? I mean, especially back in the '80s there was nothing TV was crappy Harnam Barbera stuff you know mm-hmm. Disney wasn't putting on anything good uh, nobody was doing animation back in those days so there was a need for it let's put it that way
2: yeah well, I think one of my for... first
1: subscribers believe it or not was uh, Mark Hamill
2: wow um, <laughs>
1: which is cool and you know I, I, I deep down but I almost wanted to write to him and I went mm, I better not bug him you know you, you don't want <laughs> the guy um, so that was kind of cool but I got you know I got, I got a letter from Chuck Jones that I held on to you know and uh uh, there was one fan who was named Pete Doctor who wrote to us every now and then turns out he's now one of the big you, know, right. you know the directors of Pixar <laughs> Right, it was one of our early, early
0: members. So it was kind of cool. Well, I think you and uh, Mindrod had the same, some of the same writers, it just was the luck of the yeah. thing. I mean, you had, uh, I think, wasn't Jim Corcus in both, and uh, Jim uh, Jerry Beck, Jerry yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which for yeah, me as a like, fan, was... I, I didn't mind. You know, I like both their writings, They're, they were all oh, these yeah. kind of idols of mine and mentors or whatever, you know, and I'm still friends with both of them, so it's like, you know, <laughs> and uh yeah. And, and they invited me to join what, what was called Appetunes. Yeah. Back in those days, there was amateur press
1: associations. Aptoons was the one for animation, it was like 30 of us. And we'd each write our little newsletters back before the internet and staples together and send it to everybody. And that's how I got to meet Leonard Maltin and all those guys, Jerry Beck. And I got, you know, they invited me to join them because they saw Animato. Mm-hmm. And that was really that was great. Made some great connections there too, it was kind of fun.
0: Yep. I got a few of those issues, but I I ended up writing for a different app uh, called WTFB, which was Where the Fun Begins, which was about the Disney Afternoon. Now, I wasn't a huge fan of Disney Afternoon, but I was a huge fan of Disney, so (laughs) I used to contribute to that, so... But, um, yeah, everybody's talking about... Duck- yeah, things
2: were a lot different back in those days, were Yes. Oh,
0: know. <laughs> you know, it's like, you got to make your 30 copies and send it out, you know, and all yep. that stuff, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: It's so weird now, you know. It's like, yeah, I did all that stuff, and so did you, and it's like, hmm. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: But, yeah, it is. But, you know, the Internet's made things so much better because one of the things is, thanks to Twitter and Facebook, I've been able to become friends with all these authors and animators and people that i would never be able to talk to previously that's true um and connections the secret of success in life well there's three things one is talent one is hard work and one is meeting the right people i'm convinced Mm -hmm. you know and and the internet has made that much much easier so that's one of the reasons i've been able to get all these big names to you know contribute to my books Mm -hmm. um Thanks to that kind of connection,
0: which we never would have been able to do unless you know, they real handwritten letters. <laughs> yeah, or as quickly, because uh, <laughs> you might you know, handwrite all these letters and then six months a year two years goes down the line oh yeah I saw your letter and I decided to finally write back where you know now you can tell yeah
1: t- exactly and, and you wouldn't know where to send it to you send it to their publisher and the publisher might sit on it for three days until they give it to them you know so right exactly so, uh, <laughs> I, I, am, I am a fan of technology trust
0: yeah. me <laughs> yeah and I have to admit I am too even though it uh, killed my uh, newspaper career but <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah exactly it's, 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 that's the sad part yeah and it's also sad to see so many newspaper cartoonists that have gone out of business because yeah. the newspapers are dying too yeah. you know dedicated <laughs> time on one end you can see them all online nowadays but they're not making any money off of that you know mm-hmm. so
0: <laughs> i feel sorry for them.
1: yeah yeah so yeah one of whom i should mention do you know jaren bell uh, it, uh, he yeah. does a strip called canderville
0: okay name sounds familiar so yeah. i probably do yeah, yeah
1: he, he, he has a strip called canderville he also does editorial cartoons okay and i've been a fan of this sort of a Doomsbury type of comic because there's about the politics and stuff so I like it mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: and I wrote I wrote the introduction to one of his books like four or five years ago because uh, I got to be friends with him because I was a fan mm-hmm. um, so my latest book that's going to come out very very soon should have been out by right now but unfortunately it's like a week late Is <laughs> called How to Argue the Constitution with a Conservative," <laughs> and it's, it's basically a, uh, a, a guide for the Constitution uh, how can I say this it, it's a um, uh, it, it's a Constitution for Dummies book. Yeah, <laughs> like, with lots of humor and sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I'm saying if you want to argue the Constitution, you got to know what it is first. Right? People exactly. Think they know what it is and they don't.
0: Yeah, and I, I um, did jot anyway, that down. I, I was going to ask you about this. Is just that you know it, it seems, in a certain respect, uh, you know, kind of a. Uh, kind of a left turn from wh- or whatever from what you normally do, but uh, considering your background, it it makes perfect sense now. So, you know.
1: yeah, I mean, I used to I used to actually teach constitutional law at, at community colleges, so it's not like I haven't taught this stuff before. Mm-hmm. And I have a blog, a political blog, where I write a lot of this stuff. So some of the stuff in the book is actually taken from the blog and rewritten and updated and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but what I was going to say is I got Darren Bell to
2: do the art uh, illustrations ah, for the book. Okay. So he's doing the cover. He's doing illustrations. Inside, I've got old Tanderville scripts, some of his old editorial cartoons,
1: and he's done a bunch of new stuff for me too. Mm-hmm. And right when we are getting ready to send it out for reviews, he wins the Pulitzer Prize for editorial cartoons. Hey. <laughs> so, so here I am with my new book coming out with cartoons by Pulitzer Prize-winning Darren Bell. I'm, oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't ask for better timing.
0: Wow. <laughs> Um, so is that out yet? I thought it said a release date of like next week or something. Well, when we're recording this, yeah. it, it'll, it'll probably be out yeah. by the time this airs. But
1: <laughs> oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm just waiting for the publisher to tell me it's done. You know, so it should be out any day now. It, it's being published by Gray Rabbit Publications. Okay. New York. And, well, uh, what do
2: you
0: I'll What, what do you think? It. And I'm sure you cover it in the book, but what do you think is the the most misinterpreted bit in the Constitution? Would it be something about guns or something about, uh, well, name it. What would it
1: be, do you well, think? I would agree with the guns part because everyone argues over what it means. And for many, many years, it meant one
2: thing. And then the Supreme Court with Justice Scalia, like 20, 15 years ago, came around and said, no, it means something completely really different. Mm-hmm. And
1: I go and argue about what the actual founders meant and why the Second Amendment was in there and why people misinterpreted. People love that. And the thing that bugs me most about a lot of conservatives, not all of them, of course, <laughs> is that they will say things like you you have to read this as literally as possible there are no exceptions whatsoever <laughs> and there's exceptions to everything you know the first amendment has exceptions the first amendment says congress will make no law and it you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater and, char- and, you know, start a, a riot. You can't give political speakers. You can't give military speakers. Right. You know, affinity is, is limited. You know, there's all kind of restrictions on the First Amendment. And then they turn around and they agree with all that and say, but there's none on the Second. You can have bazookas if you want to. Right. <laughs> so...
0: So, uh, so yeah,
1: I, I mean, there's, there's an entire chapter just on the second amendment, as you might get.
0: <laughs> Um, Was there a specific reason? I guess you probably describe it in the book of why uh, there was such a turnabout on that particular amendment, or it was just Scalia himself and everybody followed suit, or how'd that work? Well,
1: well, I don't talk about it too much in the book, but basically the NRA um, about uh, I don't know thirty years ago decided they, they stopped being a a group that was for gun safety and actually supported gun limitations, and they turned around and they got taken over by the gun lobby. The people actually make the guns, and suddenly they became we're going to make sure that this is an individual right that everybody has, and they pretty much spent a lot of time you know, with Charleston Heston. You can take the gun out of my cold, dead hands. Blah blah blah. You know, they hired famous people to come in and make these commercials and things. Right. And the next thing you know, people are believing it.
2: Wow. <laughs> and, and
1: it goes and it trickles up. It trickles up. You know, and, and the Supreme Court. You know, I, I can I can talk about Scalia you know, like, all over and over. But right. you know, you,
2: you right. get bad Supreme Court justices who don't care and just do
1: whatever they want. You know, and it's like Kavanaugh now. He's probably going to get rid of. He's probably going to make abortion illegal.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know. It, it, one of the key issues in the book is people have to realize, and this is a problem both sides have, is that the Constitution is a political document written by politicians and interpreted by politicians. Yeah. Judges are elected or else they're appointed by politicians. It's all about politics. Right. It's not about law. It's not like you can just plug something in and the law comes out and says here's what it is. And people think that there's one right answer, and the answer is whoever the judge is sensitive. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's one of the issues that I keep pounding over and over in the book and if you come out of the book with that understanding that uh, I will have accomplished something
0: <laughs> right I, I have studied Constitution in recent years because of, you know, aggressive, assertive opinions about certain things that are wrong. But mm-hmm. a couple that I've noticed, is, and, and why do people get these wrong? It's kind of, I'm kind of curious about, it. it's like uh, more than one person, this is of course on our wonderful social media that we just praised, uh, has said that... You know, like Obama can come back and do a third term because there is he was, there was a gap between his presidency and now. And I said, no, you can't. The maximum anybody can be president is 10 years, according to correct. the current law. Is that the correct interpretation?
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay. People, are, people make up all kind of stuff. Or they also say Obama can come back as a vice president. No, he can't, because in order to be vice president, you have to be eligible to be president. Right. And so right. he thought. No, yeah. so no, no! They're just dreaming. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. That's the point. People on the left also. People on the left yeah. also misinterpret the Constitution, especially when it comes to the First Amendment. Right. Um, you know, they think that things can. They're against censorship unless they agree with it. Then it should be censored. You know that kind of thing. Right. It's like, oh, give me a break.
0: <laughs> and then other things I'm kind of curious about. Um, uh, there's this one. The. I always forget how the description of this amendment, but it was an, the 27th Amendment just kind of quietly came into being. After almost 200 years or something like that And uh, you can describe what it is in more detail But it's like yet, yet, yet like the Equal Rights Amendment Had a time limit on it And so it doesn't look like it'll ever pass Although it's still like one state short Or something like that So what's the difference on these And how, how does those type of things work?
1: Um, the 27th Amendment was the one that was actually proposed With the, with the original Constitution And it said pretty much that The, the Congress cannot pass its own uh, Salary increase. They can't, you know, turn around and give themselves a salary increase. And it got passed by a lot of states, but not enough to pass way back then. And then some student happened to notice this and wrote a paper on it. And the teacher gave him a bad grade. He says, oh, yeah? And the student went out and got a bunch of states to pass it. And now it's the 27th Amendment. So (laughs) 200 years later, it's the 27th Amendment. Wow. Okay. Um, Because they didn't put a deadline on it. Okay. The VRA, they did put a deadline on it. Oh, okay. That deadline can easily be changed. Okay. by Congress. Congress can turn around and say, okay, we're getting rid of the deadline. You know, amendments, they're not hard to get past Congress. It's just getting it past all the states is the problem.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So are there any more like the 27th Amendment that are looming? I, you know, th- that one just kind of crept on up on me, and I said, wow, now there's 27, because I knew the 26th was about the voting age being 18, and that's all, all she wrote, and then suddenly, oh, we got a 27th one here. So... Are there any yeah, more?
1: You know, you know, it didn't get kind of flipped under the radar. I mean, when it happened, I, you know, those of us who studied the law knew about it, but the average person didn't really pay much attention, I don't think. Because it yeah, wasn't a big yeah, huge, Gigantic thing. Oh, there's always proposals for amendments. Um, I propose a whole bunch of them in my book that I'd love to read, <laughs> uh, such as, you know... Or, getting rid of the part that says D.C. is separate. D.C. should be either its own state or just make it part of Maryland, because the people in D.C. don't get a representation. That's, right. that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's things like that that I, that I propose, but as far as, honestly, what's out there, I'm not sure I mean, there's lots of them, but I don't think there's anything too close that's being passed right now.
2: Okay.
0: And what about the... You're saying that uh, the Constitution can be interpreted many, many ways. Uh, what is the likelihood of, you know, thanks to our current president and stuff like that, of uh, things like uh, the 25th Amendment being kind of more detail oriented in the future so certain things don't happen? <laughs> you know, again, if you well, know what I mean. It's
1: very hard to get an amendment <laughs> because you got to get the 3 force of the state. And a lot of the states will just, you know, never do it, like the ERA, which should have been passed, but it isn't. Right. Um, as far as the 25th Amendment goes, that was passed after JFK was shot, because the idea was, what if he was in a coma? What do we do in that kind of situation? Right. What if the president is completely incompetent? The problem is determining what is incompetent, and, of course, this is all about politics. <laughs> Nothing matters. I mean, the whole idea of our government's checks and balances. You know, the president can't do too much because Congress will check and balance them. The problem we have right now is we have a Congress that refuses to do that. So the government is not working because Mitch McConnell doesn't do anything, you know? <laughs> he, he's got piles of things on his desk and he doesn't pass and He doesn't check and balance the president like a, like the Senate is supposed to. Yeah. Um, so our government only works if... Congress does its job, the president does its job, and the Supreme Court does its job. And like if they're all taken over by the same party and they're all corrupt, well, you know, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so, that's, that's the whole problem. We got to vote these guys out.
0: <laughs> right. Um, and of course, there's probably no clauses anywhere that sa- that really says they have to do their job correct, or is that incorrect? Well,
1: that, no, you're correct. Eric. Well, it sort <laughs> of does, but how are you going to enforce it? Right. For example, when Obama, no, when Obama uh, nominated a Supreme Court justice. According to the Constitution, Congress shall have hearings. Right. And they didn't. Right. They didn't have to hear it. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to appeal to the Supreme Court, which is full of a bunch of Republican appointees who aren't going to do anything. So it only works if if you have honest people in there who do their job. Wow. You know, one of the things about Watergate was that there were a bunch of Republicans who supported Nixon, but when they suddenly, you
2: know, realized, you know, this is not right, we got to do what's right for the country and that what's right for Nixon, they did their job. Mm-hmm we've got a bunch of Republicans now who aren't doing their job and that's the problem because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know
1: if Obama did a, a tenth of what Trump is doing they'd be impeached him by now right
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> I agree obviously yeah and yeah, yeah it's just frustrating <laughs> hopefully everybody no, will... it, 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 yeah.
1: I, I'm, I'm quite depressed with the way our country Talks about how Jews are the problem and they're, you know, and, and they're disloyal. It's like, oh, that's the next step on my list of a fascism checklist. Check the fascism you know, we're checklist. Down that direction. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, what more do you guys need? You know, if you, you sit there and you say to yourself, you know, if I was around in
2: Nazi Germany.
0: but I'd love to the, the, yeah. of all your books besides the monkeys book uh, it was like wow this is really good and it's coming out now but uh, is it a good book if you're conservative and you want to try to <laughs> talk to a liberal like flipping it around I mean I totally understand why you had a title like that but w- or would well, a conservative be too angry they the t- would they be too angry to uh, look at your book <laughs> it
2: depends yeah. I'm going to make a distinction
1: between conservative and Trump supporters, okay? Okay. <laughs> because it is possible to talk logic with conservatives, and I do. On my Facebook page, I have some conservative friends, and we have good debates. Mm-hmm. I can debate what the purpose of government is and what the meaning of the Constitution is, and we can have some really good arguments about that kind of stuff and still be friends.
2: Mm-hmm. Trump people
1: pay no attention to logic and facts. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you say to them. It doesn't mean a thing. So, yeah,
2: they're going to hate the book because it contradicts their the world view. You know, so you
1: can't argue with Trump people, and I don't waste my time. Yeah. You know, if you say, well, blah blah blah, and they say, no, oh, I know this, and they're absolutely 100 percent wrong. What's the point? You know, yeah. climate yeah. change is the problem. Climate change doesn't exist. I'm not going to waste my time arguing. You're too stupid. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, 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 yeah. If you're a Trump supporter, no, it's not going to do any good. But if you're a, a rational person. Liberal or conservative, yeah, you should get something out of the
0: book. All right. And uh, the you said the drawings are designed to complement and they're done in like a humorous...
1: Uh, uh, way. Yeah, basically what I did was, <laughs> some of them are very funny because they're from uh, the Canderville comic strip. Some right. of them are his actual editorial cartoons, which some are very funny and some are not. They're, you know, serious. But he also did For every single chapter There's like 16 chapters He did a, a separate drawing For each chapter Those are original For the book So oh, that's very kind of cool
2: nice. Okay um, yeah.
0: Alright so Is that one going to be uh, In the the usual places uh, Or do you have to order it online Or what's the best way uh, Well you could order it Once it's out You'll be able to order it Anywhere Amazon,
1: online You know And hopefully it'll get To some bookstores But I don't know You know Some of these bookstores Don't carry these small publishers Right You know so you never know. So it's, it's, uh, you can always go to a bookstore and request it. That's, That's
2: not true. a problem. You That's know, say, so,
1: "Can you order this for me?" They'll order it for you. But you can just order yourself on Amazon if you
0: want. Right. So. Okay. Very good. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So, but uh, thank you. Uh, it's, been, it's, a, it's a quick read. I, I, it's meant to be
1: an introduction. It's not a textbook. Right. So it's meant to be a fun way to look at it. Have some labs.
0: You yeah. get to understand it. It's not, a, it's not a very thick book. I didn't want it to be thick. And so you, you so literally you cover... And
1: say, Why do you talk about this? And I say, well, <laughs> I want it to be a thin book. You know? okay, <laughs>
0: but you literally cover every, every article, every amendment and everything in detail, even the ones that are... Uh, gone, you know, that the were yeah. replaced, like Prohibition? Or is it just the ones that people no, argue I about? about. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: I talk, I talk about the things that people argue about. Okay. Some of the articles are very boring because they're like, you know, here's how Congress is set up. Well, there's never any debates about that. <laughs> going to that too much. You know, some of, the, some of the amendments are really, you know, we don't need to talk about that. The book is to help you argue the Constitution, and nobody argues about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that stuff's not in there. At the end of the book, of course, there's the entire Constitution, so you can read it yourself if you want
0: to. Okay, very good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But one question about it is, uh, is there any description in your book, and if not, you could just say it here, of just what it takes to become an amendment in the Constitution? What to, you know? I know you said it needs to be ratified, yeah. but is there any consistency no. about it? I mean, is it always like two-thirds or is it three-quarters, or it just depends on which one it is?
1: No, it's always three-quarters. That's okay. when the Constitution requires it. Okay. Yeah, but you got to get it passed by Congress first, and that can be 50% in Congress, but it's right. Right, and then they have to go to all the states. Mm-hmm. You know? And the problem with that is when, when it was written, it kind of made sense. Each state was kind of equal. There's no way all the states are equal anymore. That's part of the problem with our electoral college Mm -hmm. and the way the government is set up. You know, uh, because Mm -hmm. what happens is these smaller states have much, much more power than they should. When you know, uh, when when the population of of uh, (laughs) uh, Montana is smaller than the District of Columbia, you know they have more power, and that doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, one person in Montana is equal to you know it takes you know 50 people in california to equal one person in montana that doesn't make any sense right right and that's that's part of the problem with our constitution as it stands now Mm
0: Mm-hmm. and do you discuss that in the book or no
1: oh yeah there's a whole chapter on how why we should get rid of the electoral college and how you know the problem is the small states have too much control okay what that what that means to our government you know
0: very cool. Okay. And gerrymandering,
1: of course, because that's
0: part of it, too. All right. So when that one comes out, I'll definitely get that one. So you sold. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: it should be useful. It should help you with the arguing with people, hopefully.
0: <laughs> All right. And now, now let's argue for the remainder of the show. Who's your favorite monkey? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> actually, for our listeners, uh, uh, I, I will say my side of the story, but you can say your side. Well, what uh, what possessed you to do a monkeys book rather than any other group? <laughs> and contact me okay. about it. <laughs>
1: sure. Well, I've enjoyed your Beatles book, you know. And mind you, there there's like 20 Beatles books that goes into each song, you know. And you have your Beatles book, Mark what's the Beatles. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm getting the title exactly wrong, but <laughs> and and I enjoyed it. And I thought, well, wow, there should be a monkeys book like that. And, and I thought, well, maybe Mark will want to write that with me, because um, <laughs> I'd love to write that. Yeah. Um, and then I we, we talked about it, and then I got discouraged, because there is a monkey's book like that, but it, it it didn't say what I wanted to say about the songs, it said what he wanted to say about the songs. <laughs> right. And then I thought about it, and I said, well, you know, there's 50 Beatles books like that, we can have two monkey's books like this, what's wrong right. with that? <laughs> and so it sort of grew from there, you know?
0: <laughs> But uh, but why monkeys? Why not say turtles or uh, animals or Taylor Swift or whatever? <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> well, part of it is like I said before, the monkeys were the influential thing to me. When I was a kid, I saw the monkeys, and other kids wanted to be astronauts and policemen, and I wanted to be a monkey. I wanted to have a band and play in music and have wild adventures. You know, and I I, I did live up to some of that, not all of it, but some of it. So the monkeys were influential to me when I was right at that influential age that it means something to me Mm -hmm. and I thought as well there is a definite monkeys following there are people who still love the monkeys you know and go to these shows and all that kind of stuff and I think they would have a better sale than the turtles for instance I think a turtle book while while I'd like to write one Mm -hmm. doesn't have as much of an audience that would buy it either so that was part of it honestly too
0: yeah but uh, what about other, are you fans, of, I never really asked you this, of course I haven't really talked to you at great length, we're usually just talking about putting yeah. the book together, yeah. uh, but what type of music are you the biggest fan of, is it more like 60s music, or do you like all genres, or what, what's what's your favorite type I, of music?
1: I, 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 I like what used to be called New Wave, which would be Elvis Costello, and Boingo Boingo, and, and Joe Jackson, and all that stuff was very influential on me when I was, you know, in college And that's the kind of music I like to play And you know the B-52s And Blondie And nowadays I listen to, you know Panic at the Disco I like I like Clever Intelligent music That's got a good Melody to it mm-hmm. So a lot of 60s music Definitely fits Into that category mm-hmm. But if you look At my collection You know, it's going to be Squeeze And it's going to be You know, Blondie <laughs> And it's going to be You know the, the more Fun Pop music Is what I, I, I don't know how to Describe it Better yeah. than that You know yeah, um, you know, I should go look at my record collection while I'm talking to you. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> that was able name a little. Well, bit, I
0: remember you now. Know? You like XTC a lot, and uh...
1: oh gosh, they're <laughs> one of my favorites. As you can see in the monkey's book, I put them out. Um, you know, it, I, I definitely you know praise Andy, a partner who leads XTC all the time. I think he's great, and he responded to one of my tweets one time, and I was thrilled. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, that's-
1: that's kind of nice. Right. I, I spoke
0: to Nancy pretty. parade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. I did it kind of the backwards way. We haven't really talked about this, but I like 60s music mm-hmm. and 80s music the best, too. But I, start, mm-hmm. I started off with the Beatles, and then I branched off to Rolling Stones and The Who and everybody else in the 60s, mm-hmm. the Kinks and all that stuff. And... It wasn't until like new wave started kicking in uh, that I started getting into like things like the Art of Noise and uh, Thompson Twins, and uh, eventually I came around to ones that I initially dismissed, like Duran Duran and things like that, because I thought they were too too childish, you I got know. A
1: few years on you, so yeah, you're a little bit younger than me, so you came into it at you know. A little bit past when I came into it. Yeah. Because, you know, I started college in 77. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, when, that's when they're very influential years for me. So, yeah, it, it, it sounds like if I was a little bit younger, I
0: probably would have like you. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, in 77, I was just in getting in so so into much. the Beatles at that point. And the yeah. Beatles were pretty yeah. much washed up old news. It's like I tell people that because yeah. somehow young people grasp onto the Beatles now. And they're all. And I tell them, like, in 77, 78, 79, you know, Nobody cared about the Beatles until unfortunately Lennon got shot. You know, it's like they're just like, yeah. oh, that's old stuff. That's last decade stuff. Who cares? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not
1: me. I would run to the store every time a new Oh, I you know?
0: did. Oh, I, I did. I did. But to- yeah, I'm just saying the you. average person yeah. is like, you know, just oh, like. Oh, yeah,
1: I know. Yeah. They, they weren't selling that well back in those days, except for Paul, maybe. You know, everyone in Ringo could hardly get a record out. It's amazing. Right, right. Yeah, things were different back then. Yeah. Yep.
0: He puts I more, agree. yeah. He puts he puts more records out now than he did then,
1: <laughs> which is yeah, kind of funny. Yeah, they're much better now than they were then, too. Honestly, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> no, I, I I was a Monkees fan until until I got Let It Be. Mm. You know, it was like for sale for like not one ninety nine, and I was a kid and I couldn't afford. You know, all most of my monkey albums were I bought at yard sales and things because I was I wasn't you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: I wasn't old enough really. Right. When Let It Be came out. I guess I would have been around twelve. Yeah. And I bought that. And I went, wow! These guys are better than the monkeys. <laughs> and that's not even their best
2: album, of course, you know.
1: Yeah. It, it, so, yeah, it, it's not the best album, but I, I, suddenly I became a Beatles fan, and then you know I had every Beatles yeah. album I could afford to buy. Yeah. Um, a funny story too: my friends were I got my friends into it, you know. So, and actually, one of my friends I got into it ended up being the guitarist for my band I told you about. Mm-hmm. We became huge Beatles fans, but we were kids and we couldn't afford to buy the White Album
2: because
1: mm-hmm. you know it's an expensive; it's a twos, record set and I mean, we were kids we didn't have any money right. and we had no idea what it was mm-hmm. you know it just was the songs on it or anything so he finally got it for like a birthday and he came to me at school and he said look I wrote down all the songs and I looked at the songs while my guitar gently leaped, Piggy the continuing story of Bungalow Bill are like, you making this stuff up this is ridiculous <laughs> and I, I thought he was kidding because <laughs> I'd never heard of any of these songs you know they weren't big hits or anything and, and back in those days you know you couldn't just go online and listen to it
0: right Actually, I know that story because you told that story. Uh, it, it, Bruce Spizer opened it up for people like you and yes, me, and we exactly. both we got we, we both got our stories in the White Album book he did recently.
1: So, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. I, I told that story to that book. That was kind of cool that he printed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I repeated a story you already knew. That's <laughs> okay.
0: No, that's cool. You know, because I don't think anybody, not everybody's read Bruce Spizer's book. By the way, Spizer has done excellent Beatles books. Get them all, even if they're out of print. Just get them. And I think he's ha- an Abbey Road book is coming out any time now so uh, look mm-hmm. look out for that so anyway <laughs> and he's a lawyer yeah,
1: I have a couple of his uh, got him autographed when I went to a Beatles convention one time too he's a nice guy and
0: he's yeah. a lawyer too what, what's all this about lawyers yeah. and writing for me about monkeys and beetles <laughs> uh,
1: uh, there are a lot of lawyer science fiction writers too I'm discovering it's kind of yeah. interesting but like, you know <laughs> I guess if you're a lawyer you're organized you get things done you know yeah.
2: it's just, you
1: wouldn't have gotten to law school if you couldn't do that kind of stuff and uh, sometimes writing requires you to sit
2: down and work you know yeah yeah just
1: don't have that you know uh, discipline i guess i
2: should say yeah
0: well i mean you know you that is a good word to say i mean it's like one thing you could say about beetles and monkeys uh in their heyday at least is like there was this tremendous discipline and uh um i'm reading this book currently about harry nielsen by alan shipton and uh, you, 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 I'm sure, know about Lennon's Lost Weekend when he was in L.A. with Harry oh, Nielsen gosh, and everything. Been, yeah. yeah, but
1: there was a great documentary about Harry Nielsen a few years ago that was, right. that was very influential.
0: Yeah, but but, but what yeah, the, book, the book was saying, uh, Lennon produced uh, Nielsen's Pussycats album, and yeah, uh, yeah. the way Lennon was, uh, according to May Pang, was you know, outside the studio, he was nuts and drinking and carousing and doing whatever, but once he got in the studio very disciplined g- uh stuck to business, wanted to record, didn't want to sit there and fool around you know and it's it's interesting that all yeah. the Beatles had that uh, and McCartney still does now, you know this terrific discipline to get all these songs it, recorded, it, it, you know there's no real reason exactly, to yeah. you, know, you know especially now, you know he's eighty years old, you know almost you know, and it's
1: like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: and, well, and, it, it,
1: the Mickey Dolan you heard Mickey Dolan's story about when he went over to England, right. and and he goes to meet the Beatles
0: and he's all excited and he goes to the studio where they're recording Good Morning, Good Morning. Right. And he's been there in
1: all his hippie gear, he's expecting to be this wild, you know, fun time, and they're working! Yeah. You know, they're treating it very seriously. They sit there, they do their work, you know. It's their job! Yeah. He was, like, really impressed with how seriously they took their job. And so I stopped and had my like, little tea break. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it, It's a fun story he tells. Of course, I, Mickey I, always changes the story, though, so he can sing "Oh Darling instead, so I <laughs> to until a couple years
2: later. <sighs>
0: Uh, well, we're so we're so crazy. We, we um, decided after our first monkey's book uh, to do a second one. So, how's it and mean? we've had. Uh, I won't go into our various issues going back and forth on it, but it's like uh, I hope it was a fun experience to do the sequel book after you got going on it.
1: Well, it was more work than the first book. Let's put it that way. Yeah. The first book was a lot more fun because we just I pick a song and I get my team, and everyone likes to get their thing Yeah. Right. It, it, literally, we go through it year by year and say, here's what they were doing, they went here, this is what happened here. It, yeah. it, it's almost a biography, but it's a year-by-year year biography as opposed to a continual story, and we go back and forth between each one of them and say yeah. what they're doing. So that required a lot more work. <laughs> yeah. well, a lot more research, yeah. and then a lot more writing. Yeah. So it wasn't quite as much fun as the first book, but it's still
0: fun. It is true. It, 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 it actually took more work for me, too. I didn't let on about mm-hmm. it, but, you know, it's like you realize that the first book essentially you're covering like a four year period with a couple of reunions
2: yeah. and there's a couple of sequels yeah,
0: exactly. couple of, you know, uh, yeah whereas in this new book we're yeah. covering 50 plus years of uh, material you know and yeah. and a lot of it because it's the solo stuff you know for me it was maddening because I go well did they do, really do this or is this rumor and stuff like that and it's like you know I had, yeah
1: there's a lot of I mean there was periods where they weren't nobody wanted to buy their stuff you know Davey was putting out his own stuff on his own records and we can't Find it, <laughs> right? Right. You do read about it on the internet, you know. And there's songs that I can't find to listen to. I want to listen to it, so I can write about it, and I can't
0: yeah. find it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, yeah. and you know, and we've talked about this too. Those uh, those fellows that do Seven A Records are resuscitating all this stuff because they're fans of the solo material as well. So I mean, yeah. you know, if they if it's not out now, it should be out in the next few years, hopefully, because you know you're not going to get any new Davy Jones material. So you might as well reissue the stuff right. that was out that is yeah, now I
1: mean, hard to I, find it, you know it, it, their, their reissue of them but the old Mickey MGM stuff was pretty good you yeah. know like some of that wasn't worth listening to, but it was great
0: that they did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, I did like, you know, you, you probably listen to, well, you've been on there, the Zilch podcast, and uh, okay, there's there's a recent one where uh, they the two fellows were on there talking about uh, their recent Davy Jones live release, and they said, well, you can go on eBay and find the original records, but you're going to pay like $300 for them. You might as well just get our new one that sounds better and has a DVD and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they really care about yep. this stuff. So.
1: <laughs> oh no! That, that, that's what you love best, when you're, That's what's good about Rhino too. You know, once Rhino took over the, the monkey's catalog, they treated it with love. They did a good job, you know, yeah. and, and that, that was so nice to see because you know there were so many years where I couldn't even find half of the stuff. You oh yeah. Know, and, and, especially back in the days when you couldn't download songs you had to find the cd somewhere you know and, and right. then we were
0: very bad yeah you know. well well like your friend in your beatles story where he's saying you, you're making up the titles um yeah, there, yeah. there's this old book called the monkey scrapbook as a red cover and it had like three page three pages of unreleased monkey stuff and this is before the Mason links stuff and i i looked through these titles and everything and i go they're making this up. They, 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 How could they have possibly recorded three pages worth of songs? I was figuring maybe they did maybe an extra yeah. dozen songs, you know. But they had three pages worth of songs, and then slowly those missing links things came out. And the, wow, they were right. I mean, they yeah. really ha- sang a song. You can't tie a Mustang down. Why I don't know, but yeah. they did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was easy for the monkey because half the time. They didn't do the song They just walked in And sang for 20 minutes And left Right So you could have A huge gigantic catalog Because other was a want
0: To work for you Right But you know I always (laughs) assumed That it was a little More streamlined Especially with You know Kirshner involved You know Just say Hello boys We're going to do These 12 tracks And then go home You know It's like But they had A a lot to choose from So you know It was just kind of Weird that way Yeah Yeah
1: well You know Some of them Deserve not to be Released You know As as we say In the first book (laughs) Yes You know so, it reminds me of the old Beatles when I used to read the old Beatles book and they talk about unreleased songs like you know, oh, yeah. riding circles or you know red litmus paper and half of them were just made up crap you know and, yeah and they really didn't exist yeah um, or they so were ones that actually did exist oh Child Child of Nature was the only one that actually really existed that got turned into John Lennon's um, Jealous Boy
0: right right. Um, you know, I, I do talk about that. I mean, the, the in my Beatles book, it's called Mark Arnold Picks on the Beatles uh, as a, a takeoff on Chet Atkins' Picks on the Beatles. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I tried to cover all the ones, even the ones that uh, don't really exist. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, and... Mm-hmm. That was one for me. I was just doing that in my spare time. I wasn't really trying to make a book. I was just writing about the Beatles, and that kind of evolved into a book over time. So, and as you know, and I'll say this about the monkeys book. I probably said it on this podcast before, and I do say it in the book. It's like when you approached me to do the monkeys book. I originally didn't want to do it <laughs> because um, I thought there, like you, there there was somebody else that had done this, but they didn't do it as thoroughly. I, I'm as you know by now. I'm pretty thorough person. I like to talk about everything. You know, sometimes yeah. to to your di- to your dislike here, like, yeah, yeah, do we have to talk yeah. about all these We're instrumentals? One, yeah. You know, it's like, yes, we have to talk about all the instrumentals. But you know. yeah. <laughs> but you know, we worked it out and compromised and everything. But uh but you know that was what i was noticing in the other books is like yeah they talk about their songs but they leave things out and it's like i wonder what they thought about this song they didn't even talk about it you know and so well the other thing i I wanted to do and i thought this was important uh more so
1: in, in a monkey's book than a Beatles book was making sure you had the songs in order when they were recorded yeah because when you add all those missing links songs you don't get the impression of the evolution of the music and that was important to me. So that's one of the reasons why the first monkeys book that you and I wrote together. We start with the very first song that was recorded and move timeline as they were recorded, whether they came out on an album then or twenty years later. Right. And I think that that, that was something that the other books did not do, which I right.
0: was well it changed my perception of like uh instant replay, you know, it's like no wonder they called it that. It was all uh discards and throwaways from the earlier albums they didn't really <laughs> go into the studio to do that one but I never thought about it before you know I knew uh, uh, Teardrop City was kind of a retread of uh, Last Train to Clarksville but I, I I legitimately thought they recorded it later not at the same time you know <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah.
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of those songs like you know Shorty Blackwell for instance was recorded before Head you know that, was, that could have been on that uh, certain music right them. And you don't realize that until you look at the timeline and you go, oh, you yeah, well that makes more sense now, you know, because they yeah. probably wouldn't have recorded this kind of song 20 years later, right? Especially in the '60s. Yeah, the music changed so much from 1964 to 1969,
0: you know. Yeah. And 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 you, you, could, time you time couldn't you couldn't help it because you know the earlier Monkees records are pretty straightforward two minute fifteen second pop records, and you know thanks to like Nesmith mainly and and Dolans to a certain extent, you know they got more wild you know in some of their techniques and textures and what they're uh playing and song lengths and you know all sorts of weird things yep. and so you'd get yeah. you never would have gotten something like daily nightly uh up the gate in 65 you know <laughs>
2: well, exactly <laughs> yep so, so. and, and that's, that's part of the fun
1: that's why it's important and you wouldn't have gotten daily nightly in 1970 either you know right it's like it, it, it's
2: wiping its time, period
0: Right, right so. And, you know, so it did help to put it in chronological order You know, Of course, in doing so A couple of the songs on Good Times Their most recent album <laughs> I yeah. Had to be thrown way back Into like 1967 or something It was like, well They yeah. did the instrumental track here And then they had vocals later But, you know, such is the nature of Their recordings, you know They could still put vocals on some of those Instrumentals at this point But, you yeah. know
1: I don't know if they're ever going to do another... I mean, they surprised us with the Christmas album last year. You know, that wasn't... That cell that came out of nowhere. Um, I don't know if they're going to do another one. I haven't heard any news they're going to do another one. But eventually, we should probably update the book. Um, yeah. Probably not until we're sure they're
0: not going to put out another one. Yeah. Well, the only thing I know for sure, yeah, is going to die sooner or later, and you know that's going to be the end of it, pretty much. Yeah. Well, the only thing I know for sure is, and I added this to the book just today, or when I sent you that most recent revision, is on that Australian interview, M- Michael said, "I'm retiring from the monkeys again by the end of this year." So you know, uh, he may still yeah. tour, but I mean that might be the end of him with Mickey, which is fine. You know, it's like you know, hey, you know, you don't yeah, have no, to I- tour forever, but you. You know, it is it is like at the end of the era here, folks. So it's like, you know... Yeah.
1: yeah, it might be the end. The Christmas album might have been the last one. Yeah, So we'll have to update our book eventually. Yeah. <laughs> that in. Although, yeah, I, I could see
0: maybe... 10 years down the line, if they're like still around, you know, maybe they might do a one-off single one more time just for old times sake of Mickey and Mike or something, you know, or do it all uh, free as a bird and get do it all uh, free as a bird and put (laughs) Davey and Peter in the background somehow I don't know, you know, but uh, but I'm very happy with uh, that they got anything out in the recent times you know, because I I thought for sure when Davey passed away, that was the end, they were never going to do anything again and hey, they've surprised me so many times before, so you
1: know, yeah, sure. well, I think one of the things is Davy was the problem is they didn't all get along, you know. Davy yeah. was a problem, you know, they would argue with Davy, but apparently Mike and Peter hated each other, yeah, so that made things difficult, too, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it was, you know, Mickey gets along with everybody, generally.
2: yeah,
1: um, so you know. He, you expect that, but I think Mike once once that happened, he was like, "Well, you know, why not? Let's have some fun." I'm just so frustrated that I missed that concert, the last concert they did.
2: Mm. I was there when Mike had the
1: heart attack and had to be carried out. You know,
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah, because it was down there, Philly, and
1: my wife and I were there ready to go to the show. And Andrew Sandrulow came out and said, Oh, I'm sorry, the show is canceled. Mike's going to the hospital." Oh, and so
0: like, so uh, it was rescheduled. You didn't get a chance to go. Uh,
1: I could not make the reschedule. <laughs> uh, I. I <laughs> I, my schedule is such that I never know, you know, because of my job. Sometimes it's very difficult. And I didn't, I, I just could not do it, unfortunately. But I am going to go see Mickey
0: and his wife album tour oh, coming good. up soon. You're okay. <laughs> not Yeah, I think my last guest probably, you know, I did uh, a year ago uh, The Monkey's Head, where Mickey and Mike oh, spoke. Yeah. And Henry Diltz was there, and uh, a few other people were there. And, uh, they did play that on another Zilch podcast so I'm happy I saw that um, yeah. I did see the trio in various configurations in the past and I did see Mickey up in Portland when he did that orchestra album which is now on 7A Records also so uh, but yeah. yeah if Mickey does come around here again you know I'll probably see him again you know he seems the most likely oh, yeah, to continue does. touring unless tragedy intervenes hopefully not you know for another few years yeah, I've seen
1: Mickey let's see I've seen Mickey twice in concert um, once at a Beatles convention oh. um, and I saw, I saw Mickey and Davy at the World Trade Center on my birthday yep. years ago which <laughs> I t- talk about in the book too yep. so you know, <laughs> yep. I wish I, you know I wish I could go to more but sometimes it happens
0: yeah I and I, I've seen all four of them solo over the years which I'm very happy uh, with yep. and um unfortunately or fortunately I saw Davy two weeks before he passed away uh when he was at the autograph show in Hollywood and I, I've said this story before but I'll say it again. If if somebody uh took a poll and said who do you think will pass away by the end of February Davy Jones would not have been on the list there was people that were still yeah, exactly. alive like yeah. Carla Lemley she was 105 uh, <laughs> and uh, Martin Landau was there he was 88 at the time or something and he wasn't looking very well but both of them survived at least another year or two after Davy which is really sad but eh you know yeah uh, but even if a monkey,
1: you wouldn't predict baby you know you would think Peter because Peter always had health problems.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah so you know like like they do say in the Zilp's thing I keep plugging that <laughs> you know they say yeah. che- cherish it you know j- anytime they come around go oh, see yeah. him you know even if it's just a talk or if they're promoting a book or whatever you know because you never know if, you, if you're if you a monkey yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. um I just you
1: know
0: there,
1: there were periods in my life where I couldn't afford to do that kind of stuff too it was always a problem but you know that's
0: a lot of <laughs> right <laughs> but fortunately for me monkeys have generally been very affordable the one that's uh, paul yeah. and paul ringo and rolling stones have finally gotten out of my price range i just can't see them anymore
1: yeah i'd yeah, love just, to you know yeah, they're yeah, just I've, I've never seen ringo or paul live because they, every time i look at it it's so expensive i go i can't spend that much money for one night especially when i go white white too yeah you
2: know that's that's, you know, that's a lot yeah especially paul one time paul was going to play in philadelphia
1: and they said, tickets go on sale on this date at this time. So I log on and, you know, the first half of the stadium is already filled and the rest of the seats are way in the back and they're 250 bucks oh, and geez. I yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. The last time I saw Paul well, he was $50 and it was about 2004, and I think that's the last time I'll ever see him. Ringo was a little bit after that, and he was like $50. That was like, That's like my cutoff. Same yeah. thing with the Stones, but the, they're like in the hundreds now, t- two or three hundred now, yeah. so I was like, I can't do that.
1: I know. <laughs> no, I can't. Just- so many of these big guys I wish I'd seen, I wish I'd seen Prince, I wish I could just be you know, Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. there are all these people that I, you know, would love to see, but I just, I can't justify that expense, you know, that's yeah. you, especially when, you know, two people go, it's, it's
0: terrible. Right. Ahead, you know, I... will just you know, go, sorry, sorry, honey, I can't, I can't afford you. This much money. <laughs> 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 I mean, I got a
2: good salary as a lawyer, but, you know, I'm,
1: if I could, well, I could spend a thousand dollars to go out one night, or I can, you know, get the washing machine fixed. You know, Bru- <laughs> you know. Sometimes <laughs> you
0: have priorities. Ah, you're too practical. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: that's
0: right. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I guess it's the time of the show at the end here, where uh, you know, is there anything else you want to plug or websites or anything else, or just uh, re restate all your most recent current books that are coming out.
1: Sure, well, you know, the Constitution book we talked a lot about. Big Stick is my most recent novel, which is a lot of fun. I hope you like it. Okay. Um, and uh, everything can be found on my webpage at michaelaventralla.com. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to michaventralla.com, you get my my law practice page. So that's <laughs> still over there. <laughs> Unless you need a lawyer. Okay. okay.
0: <laughs> um, and how do you spell your last name, just for people who don't know how to spell?
1: Absolutely. V-E-N. T-R-E-L-L-A oh. Ventrella, And I have a blog called Ventrella Quest Michael Ventrella's Quest for Truth, Justice, in the American Way Where I blog <laughs> about politics mostly But I also sometimes blog about the Beatles and other things too uh, So you might want to check that out But there's links all over the place for that If you just go to the regular webpage mm-hmm. and Generally y- speaking, if you search for Michael Ventrella, Let me just tell you this If you search for Michael Ventrella, You're going to find two people Me and the world's biggest loser <laughs> Let me tell you this quick story <laughs> Okay. The TV show World's Biggest Loser is one where they get these really obese people and they try to lose weight during the show, right? That's right. what it's called, the World's Biggest Loser. Mm-hmm. And one of the winners a couple of years ago was a guy named Michael Ventrella. Oh no! So now, if you search for Michael Ventrella, you see Michael Ventrella, World's Biggest Loser. Oh, I was so happy about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. So don't
1: go to his page. Come to my page instead.
0: <laughs> and I thought my name was common <laughs> anyway. it's been a pleasure talking to you we'll of course continue to talk because we're going to finish up that monkey's book uh, hopefully sometime this year but uh, we'll talk offline about that and uh, anyway uh, it's been fun having you and we will talk soon thank you for listening and thank you again Michael A. Ventrell for being my special guest episode number 42 will be coming soon If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.
1: pills in the pink
2: electric church the final slicker of your loop.